Third and goal with 33 seconds to go from the 11-yard line. Taylor rolling to his left. He stops. He looks back to the right side. Still looking. Tyrod waiting. Tyrod scrambling. Back at the 20. Fires. End zone. It is caught for the touchdown by Roberts. It's a miracle in Blacksburg. Tyrod did it, Mikey. Tyrod did it. Welcome to Two Minute Drill Field Hokies Football for Gluttons. How's everybody doing? I'm doing a, I won't call this an emergency podcast, but um, uh, a little bit of a, a, a shorter and quicker version of what we normally do. And I want to talk about one thing, one thing only, and that is uh, Justin Fuentes' future at Virginia Tech as uh, head football coach and why I think he's most likely a goner after this season. Uh, uh, basically, the, the the one and only topic of discussion uh, this week on, on VT Twitter and on the message boards is, is can we fire Fuente and should we fire Fuente? And I guess the good news is that the fan base is finally united that, that he should go. They've lost faith in him completely. So shout out to uh, Coach Few for uh, bringing everyone together on that. But, um, but almost everyone... I've seen and read thinks that we simply can't afford to uh, uh, fire him. And and I disagree strongly. I've been thinking about this a lot, running it through my head a um, hundred times over. And I keep coming to the same conclusion that that it's actually in our interest to get rid of him December 16th when the uh, when the buyout drops down from 12.5 million to 10 million. So so I want to make a case for that and kind of. Uh, uh, go through go through the reasons why I think it's uh, I think it's going to happen. Not doing it for any other reason. I'm not trying to be a contrarian. Uh, I would caveat the hell out of it that 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 all the other guys that are looking into this know a lot more about it than me. But um, you know, I think sometimes when you come at it with like a fresh set of eyes and you're not conditioned on a certain outcome, uh, you may think of it differently. At least that's the way I'm, I'm looking at it. So I kind of want to just put this down, and I, and I know everyone's talking about it. So we'll see what everyone else thinks. As usual, give me the feedback at HunkerDownHokey on Twitter, uh, both for the podcast and for this episode itself. And, you know, look, we're all going to know the answer to this within basically four, five, six weeks. So, but um, but it's it's the main thing on everyone's mind. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. So first of all, just a little bit of history on this podcast. I'm not I'm not tooting my horn, but um but just to kind of make clear, one of the reasons I did it, I started this podcast in 20, November 2018, so coming up on two years, even though I, I I don't do a lot of episodes. It was after the UNC game in 2018, if everyone remembers that. That's the game where we were basically getting um, uh, boat raced up and down up and down the field, but we had a, uh, a fumble on the one-yard line as UNC was about to punch it in and go ahead by, I think, two or three scores. And then we had you know a miraculous 98-yard drive by Ryan Willis. Shout out, Ryan. Did a, did a hell of a job, including picking up a fourth and nine with his legs on that drive and really a kind of a miracle comeback to, to come back and beat UNC in that game. Well, after that game, I posted a poll on Twitter because I felt like, of course, we had gotten lucky and, you know, it was just uh, stomach turning to see how poorly we were playing, how poorly the defense is playing. You see a lot of the same things this year in terms of the giant holes that were being made and just gashing us left and right. 
I put a poll on Twitter. We had five games left in the season at that point saying, you know, do you think we are more likely to be 5-0 and or 0-5 and um, to finish out that season? And something like 85% of the respondents said, eh, we're more likely to be 5-0. and We were 4-2 and at the time. So I said, you know, do you think we're more likely to finish 4-7 and or 9-2? and Almost every Hokie fan thought we were uh, going to finish nine and two. And okay, great, you're being optimistic. And I know some of that is just like a wish, wish cast, not a forecast. Um, but I felt like you know the fan base was just maybe not seeing <laughs> what I, what I thought it was. And so that's part of the reason I got in starting the podcast was to sort of talk about concerns about the direction of the program under Fuente. Um, and those have only grown, you know, over the last two years and don't need to, to rehash it. But, um, and I think it's very clear right now at this point that, you know, he's not the guy for the job and, you know, you can have the debate about what it makes sense for the finances in the school and when to get rid of them. And I'll just real quick on that. And I'm going to get into my main point. Like I said, this will be a pretty short episode, but someone had a great post on, um, 247, and this was not a uh, VIP, so I'll just kind of, I might even read it here. He kind of went through all the the qualities of a coach, and I completely agree with all this. He said, let's just grade him and think about whether he's performed well enough to warrant another year. He said, well, leadership, what would you grade Fuente in leadership? Probably an F. Watch the well-coached teams that we play, how they play for their coaches, teammates, and fans. They put it all out there on the field. Couldn't agree with this more. Look at our guys. I'm sorry. And, and, and I'm not, this is a criticism of Fuente, not our players. But you see our players, their body language, they're doubting themselves. Frankly, they're not playing hard all the time. They look like, in a lot of these games, um, you know, they just want to get, they just want to get off the field. In tough situations, when a play doesn't go their way, they hang their heads. I put that on Fuente. This is not a, that's not a statement on the players at all. It's, it's, it's on Fuente. Bud Foster, Coach teams, you know, for so long, those guys run through a wall for him and Beamer too, and we just don't see that. So leadership, give Fuente an F. Recruiting, I don't need to get into recruiting. You got to give him an F. You can't give him even a D, right? I mean, he's he's had losing all the individual battles or almost all the individual battles every time we get a guy down to two or three schools, and they really love Virginia Tech. You know, they love everything it's, uh, we're about. They love Inner Sandman. They want to maybe represent the state. We never land those guys. And we're, you know, down in the 60s for the 2020 class and the 2021 class is not getting any better. Clearly, the word is out. Uh, Fuente can't close. He's not connecting with kids, whatever the reasons are. And, and you know, that's only going to catch up with us. I mean, one thing people don't realize about this team is, we're in year five, and this is the most talented and experienced team that Fuente has had. He's, of course, losing to Liberty and Wake Forest, but the most talented and experienced team um, that he's had. It's only going to go downhill the next couple of years as the awful recruiting of the last two years starts to catch up. Coaching. You could give him a D here, I think. Um, but, you know, a lot of these these coaching blunders, I, someone posted the stat on his record as a, or the number of games he's lost as a, a 10 point or greater double digit favorite. Syracuse, the first year. Now you can give him a mulligan. Say, all right, that's a mulligan. Think about the old Dominion loss, um, Liberty, uh, you know, and then just some of the individual head scratching coaching decisions, in whether they be in close games or in blowout games. I think about that 2018 season again. 
and how t- towards the end of the year, you know, Georgia Tech and Pitt are running for 10 yards of play the whole game. Uh, so both, I think, with planning and with game day coaching, you have to give them a pretty bad grade. Communication skills, F, D, you know, what are you going to give them? Probably um, not anything better than a D. I'd probably give him an F. He's really aloof. He's got this weird sort of top secret vibe to him. Um, you know, the Nick Saban style, which, of course, Nick and others, Bill Belichick can get away with it. And uh, that is awful for fan enthusiasm for donations, you know, these are not the, the most important things and qualities in a coach, but it, you'd think that might carry over to how he's connecting with the players, communicating with recruits, making us sort of proud. So again, I'm getting on a little bit of a side rant here, um, but every way you want to grade Fuente, I think he, he, he grades up poorly. And I'll just say one example that just sticks in my mind and irritates the hell out of me. When... Brock Hoffman's waiver was denied uh, by the NCAA at the beginning of uh, the 2019 season. This was probably on the Tuesday, right before the BC game or the Wednesday. And Fuente came out in a presser, right? The whole world, this is when, um, uh, oh shoot, I'm forgetting now on the name, uh, Jay, uh, I want to say Jay Glazer, it's not Jay Glazer, the, Jay Billis. You know, Jay Billis was ranting on the NCAA. He was getting lots of attention. Scott Van Pelt did a segment on it. Everybody was rallying around Brock. This was a chance for Fuente to come out. And he doesn't have to be some slick salesman like Davo Sweeney. But it was a chance for Fuente to come out and defend Brock and blast the NCAA in a way that the team would rally around and know that Virginia Tech was being wronged. And he stood up there in this press conference and he said, Oh, Brock's a good kid. You feel for him. We're going to see what we can do. No, you got to make a scene. You got to make a scene. The players would respect that and appreciate that. So anyways, that's the, that's just one example of countless others that show his on his communication skills and just overall um, understanding of what the job requires, how he's done poorly. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse on that. I think, again, um, Everyone agrees we've we've seen enough after five years of this. But anyways, you wrap all those things together and um, let's assume we're all united on on the, the fact that he should be fired. Well, the case against him or the, the case why we can't fire him, which is essentially the what everyone is saying. And, I'll, and mainly this is coming is coming from everyone. But um I think the Tech Sideline podcast with Will Stewart and Chris Coleman went into a lot of detail over this this week. And those guys, those guys know their stuff much better than me. They run the numbers and the finances and they know the program inside now and the donation stuff. And they basically say uh, that, you know, we, it, we just can't afford it. Right. Uh, we're about and here's some of the the. Uh, Arguments they make in support of that, and this was kind of interesting. One is that supposedly a bunch of big donors are about to raise twelve point five million for football over five years. Seventeen major donors, so these are six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar donors, and uh, and the university is prepared to match that twelve point five million. So you get twenty five million for I think basically football facilities and other maybe other activities, not salaries and things like that. And Wit's ready to announce it, and then we go loose to Liberty, and maybe some of these donors get cold feet and say they're done with this guy. And I'm sure again, 
you know, you think Fuente can sweet talk or is he the guy that in a one-on-one meeting is going to get these kind of big money donors to open up their pockets? I can't imagine, right? Uh, and that's just a personality trait. I think Fuente is a good human being. He's not a, you know, he's not, he's not a bad person. Um, it's not just not good at his job. Anyways, so uh, the argument from the TSL guys is, look, we're already in the hole, maybe $40 million, uh, the athletic department, uh, university-wide because of the uh, virus problems and the fact you can't have, have people in the stands. You've also got this lined up. How are you going to afford $12.5 million to, to fire Fuente? And the argument I've made online, and I know at least a few others have, and and I, I, uh, I'm irritated that TSL did not address this is you have you can't look at the money you can't look at the fact you don't have any money or that you've got money committed you simply have to look at the money you're going to lose with them and the money you're going to lose out of them to me that is that's the only way you evaluate the situation are we going to be in worse financial shape with him or without him and yes you can say all right well we can't predict what financial shape we're going to be in with him or without him, but you can make some ballpark estimates. And as we, as I do it, it, to me, it's just really clear that you're, it is a smart financial move to, to get rid of this guy. Uh, and so, you know, Chris Coleman's line on the podcast, I wrote it down. He said, saying we can't afford not to do it, which is my pin tweet. Right. So I don't know. He's, he probably didn't know who the hell I am, but my pin tweet is that if you, um, if you say we can't, now I forget what my pin tweet is exactly, but basically I'm saying that um, anyone who says we can't afford to fire Fuente needs to explain how we can afford not to fire him. And so Chris Coleman says, well, saying we can't afford not to do it doesn't magically generate $12.5 million. All right, that's not actually addressing the point. And then they glossed over it and then they didn't go into anything else. So I want to kind of dig down in to at least... Uh, why I think, you know, why I think everyone's wrong, why I think he's, he's going to be gone. So the first thing is, that as I was kind of getting at earlier, it's you have to do an opportunity cost calculation. Oh, wait, actually, first, let's say everyone understands, most people understand this. You don't pay it all in one lump sum. He, he's paid through December 2024 is when that buyout money would be paid. And so you can average that down over four years. And remember, it's 12.5 million right now. It goes down to 10 million on December 15th. So if you wait till December 15th, that's uh, 2.5 million a year for four years. Okay, 2.5 million a year. Remember that. And and by the way, uh, Chris Coleman also said, well, you can't if you're going to fire him, you can't fire him December 15th because it will. Um, uh, it's right around the time of recruiting signing day and it would ruin the recruiting class. You would have to fire them in November and get your new hire in there. I mean, the recruiting class is already ruined, you know, and, and frankly, the way to salvage everything we're losing in recruiting to me is you're going to have transfer palooza after this year. People are not thinking about this, how crazy the transfers are going to be. Uh, because if everyone's getting an extra season of eligibility, you're going to have four stars galore that thought they were next in line and maybe the guy in front of them is not ready for the NFL and they're saying well shoot I'm going to come back uh you know at the University of Michigan or 
wherever it might be, name 100 schools across the country and play another year because I enjoy playing college football. And the guy who thought they were next in line all of a sudden says, shoot, I'm going to be buried and lose another year. And they're going to look to transfer immediately. And that's the way to bring things in. I would stop making offers completely and basically just bring in uh, transfers like we did with Khalil Herbert and Raheem Blackshear. There is going to be a ton of high quality transfers looking for homes where they can get immediate playing time. And guess what? We have a roster where there's going to be opportunities for immediate playing time for all these great players. So I am not worried the least bit about the class of 2021 kids and who might come in. I mean, we got we need help now on our roster. So sorry, Chris Coleman, I, I don't buy that. Um, so anyways, back to the math, the buyout math. The okay, first of all, we all agree it's going to be 2.5 million a year for four years, so it's not it's not 12.5 million, it's not 10 million. Then you have to think remember, if you give this guy another year, the whole world knows he's going to be on the hot seat for the next year. Let's say he sucks next year just as bad as he sucks now, which I'd put good money on that. Guess what? You owe him next year and next November 2021, you still owe him 7.5 million. Because the buyout's only going down 2.5 million a year. So in a way, it's just a $2.5 million question. Can you afford $2.5 million to get rid of this guy this year versus waiting one more year? I mean, what are the odds he's going to turn things around next year? I mean, even in the best case scenario, it's just like mediocrity, which I think our program shouldn't stand for. So in that sense, I think we should be glad that he's sucking this bad. We should be glad that Liberty beat it because it's going to be a chance for us to bring someone in that can get us back to the level we need to be instead of six and six years and seven and five years and oh boy, here we come, belt ball, you know. That's not what I don't think we should we should aspire to be. Next point, that that money is um, offset by what Fuente earns in his next job. Now, I don't know the contract details and I know sometimes there's different things on this, but almost all the time, it, especially if he gets a head coaching job, let's say he gets a head coaching job at the G5 for 1.5 million. That's one point that, that comes straight out of our buyout. So that means that's 1.5 million less per year over those four years. And maybe it's just a coordinator job and it's not a hundred percent match. So he gets a $800,000 coordinator job. It's still going to be a discount below that 2.5 million. All right. And then you go into uh, the other opportunity cost issue, which is the lost donations from alumni. We already know that the big donors, Will Stewart himself said it, that the big donors are, quote, done, done, done. They're sick of this guy, okay? And, um, you know, maybe they're still ready to do the facilities, but they also want the guy gone, but they're tired of opening up their pockets for such bad product on the field. So and that's got to that's got to trickle on down to all the uh, all the individual fans like us. I mean, I try to give a little bit, of, a couple hundred here and there, and um, I really don't want to do it until he's gone. I'd love to I'd love to earmark my money for for buyout, then I'd actually see how much I could scrape up. So the overall donations are down. So that's that's the Fuente side of things. Now think about if you actually brought in a coach that would get the fan base excited again. Maybe he opens up the spring game. He's doing pressers. He's doing meetings. He's he's just a dynamic fundraiser. Shane Beamer would be that guy, I think. I'm not a huge Shane fan, but I do think he could uh, uh, really do a great job of fundraising. He would engage the alumni and the former players to promote the program and the brand and sell it. 
I think you could offset the entire $2.5 million just with that alone, just with a, a head coach that can be a salesman uh, as versus Fuente, which is basically an anti-salesman of the university. He's worse than nothing. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm trying to keep my emotions out of it, but to me, it just seems so so blatantly obvious, all right? So now, what else? So here's some some basic numbers on on the program. Again, everyone's saying we can't afford this. We've all agreed down. It's like two point five million dollars a year minus whatever he makes in his next job. So it's a couple million dollars. The budget of the Virginia Tech athletic department is uh, ninety million a year that they bring in in revenue. About fifty two million of that is from football. If you look at the last few years, just a little. So it's it's a little bit over half. Football's operating expenses is about $33 million. So it has netted $17 million in profit uh, the last um, couple of years. So that's a, nice, that's a nice cushion of profit. And everyone understands it's funding the non-revenue sports, etc. But look, I think if you, have to, if you have to make these kinds of tough, painful decisions, and I'm not arguing that this is not extremely painful, and some programs get cut, and you got Title IX, you got to cut you know, men's this and women's that to do it for a couple years and then eventually bring it back. Um, uh, you got to do it. You're actually netting 17 million in profit from football normally. Now you're not this year because you don't have any fans in the stands. Thanks governor Northam for that. Um, you know, we got, we usually uh, that, uh, 50 million revenue that we bring in from football, about 17 million of it is from ticket sales. So I assume that's almost all entirely gone. Just think how much, if you think about this buyout price, if we could have just had 20% of fans in the stands, um, how much easier that would have made firing uh, firing Fuente. And um, let's see, where was I on that? Uh, anyways, so the point is, you are basically at um, a small amount. And the Hokie Club brings in $33 million. So will the guys from TSL say we're $40 million in the hole due to the virus, right? You're, however that all works out, the athletic department is basically $40 million in the hole. Well, you can look at it that way and say, oh, then we can't afford for fire. Bring on another $10 million in uh, liability for $40 million in the hole, which again, I argue that you're losing more than that anyways from, from sucking so bad. But even if that's all a wash, you're only $42 million in the hole by firing him. It's a 5% difference. So, um, and again, I think all that could get offset if you actually started to turn the program around and we all know, you know, the economy and everything else is going to turn around in the future. So, um, all of these reasons to me spell, and I think they're going to become abundantly clear over the next few weeks. Wit's not an idiot. Um, and especially with these donors barking in his ear, I think that it's, it's, it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen on December 15th. Um, and the other thing, look, I could go a couple of more on this. Now, these are a little bit more tinfoil hat, but uh, one, uh, Witt can negotiate with Fuente, right? He could say, listen, um, everyone's tired of you. Um, you're not the future here. We got to bring somebody else in. We'll give you a fresh start. We'll give you $7 million in our buyout. We can't afford 10. We're going to give you $7 million. And if Fuente says, no, my contract says 10 put him in the basement with a stapler like the guy in the office and make him fire his best friends on the team, she best or whatever it might be, the $400,000 special teams coach. I think he's a good special teams coach. I don't think he's worth $400,000, right? Make his life miserable. Play hardball. Play hardball. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. It doesn't make you a jerk. 
It's um, it's it's the way of the world. And I'm sure it's happened many times around, uh, you know, around the place. It just just we got to find a way to get rid of these guys. And then finally, I think also there's a good chance in my mind. This is I don't this is a total guess, but I think that there's going to be bailout money, government bailout money coming in some form that'll make its way down through the state and the university. I mean, when you have a state law that says we're denying you $17 million in ticket revenue for safety reasons. I think you have a legitimate claim. The university will have a legitimate claim that now we are in this major financial hole due to the government restrictions. Any other businesses making those kinds of things and they're getting bailed out, certainly the universities, et cetera, and they will. So I think that's going to come along. It may take a few months, but they probably know that in the back of their mind. So, you know, for all these reasons, um, uh, I think it's going to happen. And I would love feedback from everyone else to explain to me, uh, you know, you know why I'm wrong. And um, uh, but but again, you can't, the, I think the bottom line is you can't look at what you have to pay to get rid of the guy. You have to look at what just do the accounting, what you think you're going to have with him and the accounting and what you think you're going to have without him. And if you have a great hire to come in and replace it, it is not even going to be close. We're going to be in much better shape um, as you know, without him. And so I think it makes a difficult decision, um, actually, you know, really easy. And, um, I guess that's it, you know, look, I mean, the only other thing I say that I think should kind of add into this and I did it, uh, talk about it in my, in the, <laughs> by the way, the, the podcast I did in 2019, is called deliverance. It was right after the Duke game. And so I, I did predict that he would be gone after the 2019 season. I went into seven reasons why I might even just let me go back through a couple of those. And and obviously I was wrong because of everything that happened with Jerry kill coming in, turning around hand and hooker. We went on a nice run there. God bless him. I was thrilled to be wrong about that. But I think everything fundamentally that I mentioned on why I thought he was going to be fired last year. Most of that still stands. A couple things were unique to last year, like bud, Bud's retirement and the, the the fact that you would not, that's a good time to get rid of the head coach when you have an assistant opening too. Um, but look, I talked about the lack of player development, the regression of so many players. We're seeing even more regression this year. Uh, now we've seen some, probably some improvement on the offensive line, although it's flattened out a little bit, but on the defense, you're seeing regression all over the place and um, very limited progress. Body language is just a huge one for me. When you watch these games, look at the body language on the guys um, and the way that they, they doubt themselves and, and the way that they just do not seem to be emotionally invested in the game. Um, the buyout math stuff. Uh, and the other thing is basically what I view as the impatience factor. And the Virginia Tech fan base is probably one of the most patient in the country. I mean, I think... Places like Purdue and uh, I don't know Michigan State, lesser programs, Rutgers, they're they're uh, less patient than us, and we should be a higher standard. We should be more impatient. But at any rate, when you look around the country and you see guys like Mac Brown tearing it up, you know Manny Diaz looks like he's riding the ship in in Miami. Scott Satterfield in Louisville probably doing all right. Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech has uh, some some buzz. Mike Loxley at Maryland is is making noise in year one greg shiano Rutgers in year one beat uh beat michigan state and looks like they have a quality team boston college has some excitement and here we are in year five and this is the product 
I think that all, again, is going to play in as sort of looking over the shoulder at, at the way to, to build a program and the way to not build a program. So anyways, uh, I think that's it. I'm going to end this with uh, one of my favorite lines. So, uh, And again, I, by the way, I'm going to title this podcast Rejoice because I'm not hanging my head. I'm actually, I actually think it's going to happen. I'm happy. I think I, I, I tweeted at uh, Pete uh, from the 2D podcast, something that, you know, it was actually kind of a relief the way that Liberty game ended, because rather than some future where we just sort of beat around the bush and with mediocre seasons, never really kind of circling the drain slowly, this is a chance to rip off the Band-Aid and kind of start fresh again. So I'm excited about the future, and I think that, you know, things are going to go on now. Look, if we somehow, uh, maybe, we don't even need to beat Miami. If we play well against Miami, play respectable against Clemson, and beat Pitt, and then beat UVA to end the season, I think Fuente saves his job. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, it could be wrong. I'm not rooting against this, but I don't think that's going to happen. And I think it's far more likely that we'll see at the end of the season, you know, bad performance against Miami, certainly Clemson, who knows against Pitt. And then Fuente could be coaching for his job against UVA at the end of the year. And um, I'm sorry, but Bronco Mendenhall can can outcoach this guy and, and, and out game plan him. So that's where things stand. I anyways, I'm going to close this out with my favorite uh, movie scene of all time or not movie, but HBO from Deadwood. And, uh, it's just a nice reminder when you've had a lot of misfortune that, uh, you know, the world is not over until it's actually really over. So it always sort of kicks me back in the right mindset whenever, um, I think, uh, the chips are down. This is Al Swearingen from Deadwood. If you've never watched it, um, sorry for your loss talking to Merrick, uh, about, um, after he got, um, Uh, beat up and got money stolen from him so i'm going to be out with that there's a language warning on this if you got kids in the car just end the podcast right now all right everybody peace out until next time why ain't you up and running again i'm in despair the physical damage is repairable but the psychic wound may be permanent You ever been beaten, Merrick? Once, when I thought I had the smallpox, Doc Cochran slapped me in the face. Stop it, Al. Are you dead? Well, I'm in pain, but no, I'm obviously not dead. And obviously you didn't fucking die when the Doc slapped you. No. So, including last night, that's three fucking damage incidents that didn't kill you. Pain or damage don't end the world. Or despair. Or fucking beatings. The world ends when you're dead. Until then, you got more punishment in store. Stand it like a man. And give some back.